You're listening to the Joy Junkie Show podcast, episode 411. You can find information on anything referenced in this episode at thejoyjunkie.com slash 411. You're listening to the Joy Junkie Show, your source for getting your shit together in love and life. Wouldn't it suck if I really talk like that? Without further ado, here's your host, life coach, speaker, all-around badass, Amy E. Smith. Joy Junkies, Amy here, and we are going to be continuing our series on self-abandonment, and I'm hoping that you really enjoyed the last two episodes from both Danae and Vanessa, who offered totally different takes on the way that we kind of put ourselves on the back burner, sell ourselves short, not make ourselves a priority, and they both had such incredible insight. Vanessa and I spoke a lot about codependency. And Danae and I spoke much about societal conditioning and how that affects us. So be sure to have a listen back through episodes 409 and 410 if you haven't caught those already. I think you'll really enjoy them. And something that I've realized as I've been able to collaborate with both Vanessa and Danae a couple times now is that there are a lot of terms that are thrown around in the therapy community that might slightly differ in the personal development community. Obviously, there are a ton of pieces that overlap, but even though I had never really talked about the term of self-abandonment, the more I dug into it and the more I researched it, I realized a couple of things. One, it's stuff that I've been talking about for years now, which we're going to dig into today. And it also seems to be a term that's more commonly associated with therapy modalities. So the reason I share that is I think it's really important that we don't get too caught up in diagnoses or labels even, but recognize our own pattern of behavior so that we can start making really empowered choices. So I think it's way more about deciding what you want to do differently instead of getting caught up in I'm a this or I have this tendency or I self-abandon or however it might show up for you, but rather focusing on what you actually want to do about it. And I'm going to list out in the next two episodes I'm going to list out 12 different common ways that we abandon ourselves and then what we can actually do about it. So for all 12 of the the concepts that I bring to you, there will be some sort of action step to start altering that. So what I would love for you to do is pay attention to what your sticking points might be. Now, the overachievers in the group, I want to just preface it by saying you don't have to do every single one. In fact, if you start out by saying, oh, I'm going to do all of these different challenges and tasks and I'm going to accomplish all of them, most of the time we get so overwhelmed and then we just remain stagnant. So I'd like you to pick maybe one or two of your biggest sticking points from both this week and next week and decide on one of the definitive pieces of action. 
All right. So before I jump in today, I do want to let you know where I got a lot of my information. There was an incredible article by Psych Central, which will be linked in the show notes for you. And then there were two different memes that I found that were related to self-abandonment work. And one is by a Instagram account called Soul Essence Love. Again, will be linked in the show notes. And the other was by a therapist named Julia Christina. And again, her information will be in the show notes as well. So I think it's always important to give credence where it is due whenever I source information like that. So before we talk about these 12 different things, which we'll be covering off six this week and then six next week, the thing that I think is really incredibly important to underline here is that we all abandon ourselves from time to time. Now, that word sounds incredibly hyperbolic. It sounds so dramatic. I'm abandoning myself. So whatever you want to substitute that for, I'm completely fine with. If you want to say sometimes I don't always put myself first or sometimes I I put myself on the back burner, recognize that there is zero judgment here because for many of us, and I believe I spoke about this a lot with Vanessa, for many of us, we developed these sorts of coping mechanisms like people-pleasing, like perfectionism, like controlling things because it was a way in which we could stay safe. And there are many groupings of people, specifically marginalized various identities, that have had to survive by abandoning themselves. And what I mean by that is – Some of these behaviors that we're going to dig into, like not listening to your intuition or, you know, perfectionism or people pleasing even, for some different identities, for example, if you identify as being part of the queer community, sometimes people pleasing and making sure that everybody else is okay literally caters to your survival and your safety. So when I throw out a lot of these concepts, I want you to understand that First and foremost, no matter what, these were coping mechanisms because they kept you safe at a very specific time in your life. So if you are finding now that there's ways that you put yourself last that are really starting to infringe on you being able to live the life that you want, these are the the places to look and to start shifting. But I do think it's really important to recognize Okay, sometimes if you're a person of color, being really loud or saying exactly what you need or advocating for what what you believe in could have meant very real danger for you in your life. So when I say this, all these pieces of advice, I want you to look at it through your unique lens and always take into account, does this put me in any type of jeopardy? Am I safe in these environments. And this also applies to people who may have developed certain coping mechanisms because they're in abusive relationships. So when I talk to people about standing up for themselves or speaking up or establishing boundaries, that looks very, very different for somebody who has perhaps maybe an overbearing parent versus somebody who has an abusive partner. If you're dealing with an outright abuse, my advice is going to be way more enveloped by survival and caretaking for your personal safety. That's not the time for personal empowerment. So just a note about that, that uh, it's going to depend 
solely on your specific lived experience and the things that you are up against and that you're struggling with. But again, to my point at the beginning, we do it because we it was a way we could stay safe, right? Like if you became uh, used to putting on a show, I know a lot of people who are like this, where they learned early on that introverts are not something that's not something to be desired. So I need to be the class clown. I need to be the jokester. I need to be loud. I need to entertain everybody, even if that wasn't necessarily what you wanted to do. Perhaps you developed that because it was a way you felt safe. So even though there might be an element of of self-abandonment there, zero judgment, y'all. Okay? Zero judgment. So our goal is not going to be to eradicate all of this. Just like all elements of personal development, it's about learning when does this trait serve me and when does this seriously compromise my happiness? Okay? All right. So the way that we start learning about how to put ourselves kind of on the back burner or maybe cater to everybody else is largely through our family of origin, but then also through our series of lived experiences. So we learn through various relationships, sometimes even friendships or communities that we're a part of. We start learning, oh, okay, here's how I can essentially stay safe, fly under the radar, get what I want, you fill in the blank. All right, so let's talk about these first six, and then we'll talk about the next six next week. The first one is not listening to your intuition slash a lack of self-trust. Now, not listening to your intuition this is something that I talk about with most of my students and and clients, if not all of them, because we're kind of taught from a very early age to do what I like to call the cognitive override. So an example of this might be if you start dating somebody, maybe in high school, and there are all these red flags, aka your intuition saying, hey, that might not be be the best person to be with or, hey, that behavior seems concerning. But we call forth the logic and the reason part of our mind and we go, okay, no, no, they're fine. Or no, I think I'm overthinking it. I'm being too picky. I'm asking for too much. I think I'm being, I'm scrutinizing this person too much. And so we discount ourselves We go, I must not really know. And we turn to something like logic, reason, rationale, which is very uh, outside of ourselves for the most part, versus our intuition, which is a gut feeling. It is 100% reliant on an internal, visceral experience. So not listening to your intuition, sort of this lack of self-trust, that also shows up by not not ever trusting your own instinct. So let's say you're in that specific relationship and you don't trust yourself to just listen to that intuition. So you ask everybody else for their opinion. You allow other people to make decisions for you. Or you have this overarching belief that everybody else knows more than you do. And I don't think I mentioned this at the beginning, but I have actually done 
podcasts on almost all of these topics <laughs> that we're going to be discussing over the next two weeks. So for each of these, I'm going to give you an additional podcast that you can listen to to dig in even deeper if you want more action steps or if you feel like, oh, yeah, this is the one that that I have a really difficult time with. So if you're listening to this and you go, oh, yes, I have a difficult time with self-trust, you might want to check out episode 367 specifically on self-trust. So here's what we're going to do about this one. Here's the action step for this one. Number one, I want you to make one small decision on your own without consulting others. I want it to be something where you would normally want to get a bunch of people's opinions or you would ruminate on it for four or five days, maybe even longer. Something that you're not taking action on something small, though. I don't want this to be, do I move across the country? Do I break up with this person? <laughs> I want it to. I want you to start gathering evidence of small things that you can do, decisions you can make on your own, based in your own intuition and trusting yourself. Trust just like with others for ourselves is built over time. We have to build it through a series of actions. So if you tend to think about it forever, you go into the what if place, you want to bounce it off a bunch of different people to make sure you're making the right choice. No. So over the next week, make at least one small decision that you would normally ruminate on or consult a bunch of other people. Make the decision and just it is what it is. And I'll course correct if I make the wrong decision. All right. Number two. The second way that we tend to abandon ourselves or, you know, the other way to kind of look at self-abandonment is truly anytime we leave ourselves and choose to find answers or validation outside of ourselves. We let go of who we truly are, our wants, opinions, needs, stances, in order to consult with other people or to make them happy. So obviously, people-pleasing is going to be in there. Agreeing with things you don't typically uh, – th that you don't agree with. Seeking validation from other people. Suppressing your needs or your interests in order to please other people. Always trying to make everybody else happy. This can also be going along with – family norms in order to avoid getting anybody upset or to, quote, rock the boat. This is a difficult one. Now, this one is also, if you've heard me talk about this, directly related to our primitive fear response. One of the reasons why we try to garner approval from other people is because uh, in our primitive evolution, we absolutely had to be a part of a group of people in order to survive. If we were not approved of, if we were not accepted, that meant impending death. So of course, as we have evolved as a species, that doesn't actually mean that if our friends don't like us, we're going to die. But we still get that same underlying lizard brain perspective in our mind. So it creates sort of that anxiety or that fear. What if people don't approve of me? What if they don't like me? So when you are around other people who you are constantly trying to please, this is one of the best action steps that you can take. I want you to ask yourself, what choice would I make if no one else was around? So 
let's say that you're going to be getting together with a group of friends and inevitably everyone is going to say, hey, what do y'all want to have for dinner? And you have always been the one who says, I'll do whatever, even though they oftentimes pick sushi or something that you really, really don't like. You just can't stomach the idea of them not liking what you have to say or If you say, hey, I don't want to do that, will they not like you anymore? So you just go, it's so much easier to just go along to get along. All of the dumb bullshit sayings and phrases and idioms that we have that basically get us to sell ourselves short, right? Go along to get along, sweep it under the rug, open up a can of worms, all of that is all code for shut the fuck up. So I want you to think about If you were in this situation, if you had to decide for yourself what you wanted to do for dinner and nobody else was around, all of these friends were not around, what would you want to do? Would you want to go to Italian? Would you want to go to a bistro? Would you want like a soup and stand? You know, whatever. But what would it sound like to just advocate for what you truly wanted? Now, this can be applicable to anything and you don't have to be an asshole and you don't have to have a hard and fast boundary around it. All I'm saying is I want you to give voice to what it is that you actually would want. So it could be that you're with all of those friends and literally everybody wants sushi but you really want a burger. You might because of the situation say you know what if everybody wants sushi I'm not going to make everybody go get burgers with me if you don't want that. I will absolutely go. But what I want you to start doing is not just pretending like it's okay with you. At least just say, I really want a burger. It could be something that's happening with uh, your partner. They really want to do one thing. You want to do another. But at least say it. Even if you decide that you're going to go ahead and do what your partner wants to do, I want you to get in the process of not just dismissing what you want right out of the gate. So that's what this challenge is going to be all about. Just at least give voice to it. And then if you, as a group, make a different decision or as a couple or as a work team or whatever, make a different decision, that's fine. But get in the habit of voicing what you want. And I'll also mention that if you want to go to episode 335, that's another deep dive into people pleasing and then working with family dynamics and things like that, you can check out episode 383. Those I think might be helpful for you. Third way that we tend to abandon ourselves is by hiding parts of who we are. This is sometimes giving up on your interests and goals. This can happen a lot when you either enter into a really stressful work environment or you become a parent and you have this new all-encompassing role that's a part of your life. It's so easy for us to completely give up on the things that we care about, our interests, our goals. But hiding parts of yourself is also not sharing your feelings. 
Now, I've done a couple of episodes on vulnerability and emotional intelligence. Again, those will be linked in the show notes if hiding part of yourself tends to be one of the ways that you dip out on yourself a little bit. But vulnerability, this is sort of the key. This is the challenge with this particular element is practicing vulnerability and sharing yourself with the right people. I did two different episodes that were on emotional intelligence, episode 356 and 370 that I think you'll enjoy, and another one on vulnerability. I'm not exactly sure what the number is on that one, but here's the deal with vulnerability. Our society says that it's a horrible thing, and again, for various marginalized identities, If you are somebody who has a disability, if you're somebody who's a part of the queer community, if you're a person of color, being vulnerable can absolutely be dangerous. So I'm not speaking to vulnerability from a standpoint of do it all the time and do it with every person. Absolutely not. The key to this one is practice vulnerability and sharing yourself with the right people, the safe individuals and doing it gradually. You don't have to jump in and tell everyone your entire life story, your deepest fears, all the things that you're struggling with. But you can start very, very simply with somebody who feels safe to you by sharing how you're feeling about something. Even if it's as simple as saying, you know, I've I've been really overwhelmed lately. I'm I'm kind of going through it. You don't have to even divulge more than that, but that is an exercise in practicing vulnerability. This also can tie into what we were talking about with the people pleasing with number 2, giving up your interests and goals, not sharing your feelings. Part of that is being open and honest about who you are. So perfect example of this is for people who are jumping into the dating scene and they pretend they love sports because the person they're going out with loves sports. And so they temper maybe their interests or their goals and pretend that they're super into this other person's goals and interests. That's a way that you are selling yourself short, abandoning your wants and needs, your interests and goals, and not being genuinely authentic. So specifically if you're in the dating arena, my guess is that you want to attract people who are incredibly authentic. You want to be with somebody who's honest. So you need to behave in that way as well. Now, if you're just entering the dating scene, I'm not saying be absolutely bare your soul vulnerable with whoever you're talking to. I'm talking about, again, practicing vulnerability with the right people. So there's a little bit of a difference between practicing vulnerability and then speaking up for your interests and goals. So either one of those would be an amazing task for you to take on over the next week to be forthright, to be open and honest, like, hey, no, I I really am not a fan of that. One of the the easiest things that you can do is kind of have an unpopular opinion. When, you know, so here's one, as somebody who's like a free spirit and super hippy-dippy, I really don't like reggae music. I wish that I did. I really wish that I did, but I don't 
like it. And I feel like that's so unsexy and not a cool trait to have. And I would love to be the girl who loves that type of music and and could get into it. And I just I just don't prefer it. So when I'm with other people who love it and then give me a hard time about it, it would be so easy to go, no, 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 it's good. It's all right. No, that's me hiding who I really am. Not, and, and I don't have to be an asshole about it. I don't have to be like, fuck your music. It sucks. It's just genuinely being honest and allowing yourself to take up some goddamn space with what matters to you and what, what you have affinities for. Moving on. Number four is perfectionism. Hello. I know we've talked about this so much on the show. This is where in essence, what perfectionism comes down to is I have to prove my worth. I'm not valuable. I'm not worthy as as is. I have to do things to attain my worth. So we're setting really unrealistically high expectations for yourself. So it, it becomes almost like a form of self-sabotage because you set the bar so fucking high that you become incredibly overwhelmed about how to attain that thing. And then you become stagnant. Procrastination is directly paralleled to perfectionism in many instances. So you you halt all action because the bar is set so goddamn high. And then it catapults into self-loathing. You're so lazy. Why can't you ever do anything? Blah, 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 blah. So perfectionism can be a huge thief of joy. Now, with a lot of personal development concepts, I don't think that all of them are always bad. I think that there's a way in striving for excellence or caring about a job well done or accuracy and precision can be amazing and phenomenal. But I will say that disproportionately, it is probably stealing joy more than it is catering to your fulfillment. Now, I did a perfectionism series not too long ago where you can do a deep dive four different episodes on perfectionism in different, slightly different iterations. And those are episode 389 through 392. Again, all links will be in the show notes. But here's what I want to say about hiding parts of yourself, perfectionism, people-pleasing, not listening to yourself, your intuition. All of these are symptoms of a deep-seated belief that you are not enough. It's that I need to get everybody else's approval, right? Like I need to run things by everyone else because I cannot be trusted. It is let me make sure everybody else is happy and that they like me so that maybe then I'll be worthy. Maybe I will hide the parts of myself that are not super awesome because then maybe I'll be valuable. Maybe then I'll be lovable. Or maybe if I'm flawless, maybe if I'm perfect, maybe if I have the best body, the best job, the best home, the best wardrobe, then I'll be lovable. Then other people will approve of me. Then maybe I will be worthy. Now, let me tell you something, y'all. I see women every goddamn day who have spent decades trying these tactics. Because again, most of us 
grew up learning how to do these things in order to survive our family of origin or high school or college or our various workplaces or certain relationships. And then we get to this place and it's a different time for everybody. I've seen some women in their 20s. I see, I've seen some in their 60s and 70s where they go, holy fuck, I have been staking my worth in so many things outside of myself. The approval of others, my accomplishments, what other people think, instead of being firmly internally rooted in your own worthiness. The great news about all of these things is that they're symptoms. They are not the real true issue. The issue, as far as I can see it and the way that I teach it in my work, is it comes down to a faulty belief system. The belief that you are not worthy unless all of these other things happen or all of these other people approve of you. So there's nothing wrong with you, my friend. There's just probably a little problem with your belief. And the great news about that is it can be completely altered and shifted. I've seen women do it. Hundreds of women do it over and over and over again. And that is essentially why I created my Deep Down and Dirty group intensive. And that is it's a program that I've been teaching for, gosh, going on seven years now, and I've seen hundreds of women dramatically change their lives. And it never fails. They all come to the work with a very similar notion. First of all, they're fed the fuck up. They're done. They're like, I cannot keep living like this. I can't keep making the same decisions in relationships that make me unhappy. I cannot keep staying at jobs I hate. I cannot keep loathing the person I see in the mirror. I, I This is not working. This is not working, living a life of self-sacrifice. So one, they're done. Two, they don't think they can do it. They think that there's some sort of secret sauce that everybody else has that magically they are just very uh, specifically and specially uniquely damaged. So (laughs) there's that very, very common sentiment. And then like clockwork, we go through this very battle-tested program that I've curated that is rooted in science that works with both the conscious and the subconscious faculties of the mind. And they create a completely new existence. I've seen people manifest their soulmates. I've seen people create their own businesses, go back to school, quit smoking, get in really great shape, get back into a dating scene, end really toxic familial relationships. I have seen people go on to do the most incredible things when they actually believe that they are fucking worthy, that they are enough, that they are valuable. So if you're interested in Deep Down and Dirty and you are ready, you're like, I have, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but Amy, just teach me. I will do the work. Then I really want to encourage you to go to thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop. That is a completely complimentary masterclass that I've put together for you that chronicles a little bit about Deep Down and Dirty and the work that I do. Have a watch through that. Be sure to have a pen and paper because there's tons of information that you're going to want to jot down. And then after you've watched that, if you think that you want to take that next step, you'll see an opportunity to book a complimentary call with a member of my team where you can discuss exactly what you've been up against and if Deep Down and Dirty is the right solution for you, if it's the right ass kicking for you. All right, so we've gotten through four. Let's look at number five, self-criticism. Hello. 
So this is just basically allowing your inner shit talker to go batshit crazy, being mean to yourself, being hurtful, especially when you don't meet those high standards, those things that you have told yourself you must accomplish in order to be worthy again. This is what I was talking about where the criticism comes in, the self-loathing comes in, shaming yourself for making a mistake. Have you ever done that where you actually call yourself by your first name? God damn it, Amy. What the fuck, Amy? What are you doing? Yeah. Imagine if you spoke to yourself with a much kinder voice. Now, it doesn't always necessarily have to be flowery and overly positive. Like, you're the best. You're amazing. You're the... Sometimes it just has to be empowering. So something like, hey, you're allowed to feel what you feel, you feel, but we're not going down that path. Or that thought wasn't helpful. Let's, let's change that pattern. Something where you're just disrupting that vortex of going into that, that inner shit talker spiral. Now, I did an episode on 298 that is specifically around dealing with your inner shit talker. But one of your action steps around this in particular self-criticism is to take a self-talk inventory and when that self-talk comes up. So it's self-talk inventory and triggers. So it's what you say to yourself and when. So are you really hard on yourself when it's related to your body, when it's related to your finances, parenting, being partnered or single, when it's related to your career, your intellect, when do when does that voice get really loud? And then what does it actually st- say? Start taking a little inventory of that. Even if you spend just maybe two days gathering some data of like, oh, shit, anytime it's related to parenting, I go just batshit on myself. Or anytime it's related to career, that's when I tend to be the most mean. And again, there's so much more I can say about this. In Deep Down and Dirty, we actually spend two completely full weeks on that. But you'll get a little bit of a snippet in the workshop that I mentioned, again, at thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop or the episode 298, I think will give you some additional insight as well. Final way for this week that you may be abandoning yourself is by ignoring or dismissing your own needs. I can't tell you how many people I have come across who just think they don't even deserve to have their needs met. They feel unworthy of time spent on themselves, being able to decompress, or expressing needs inside of a relationship. And this can again be that cognitive override where we go, oh no, they don't want to hear that. Or I'm rocking the boat again with the idioms. I'm making too big of a deal. I'm asking for too much. I'm too needy. Which when the fuck did we decide that having needs was a bad thing? When? Because as far as I'm concerned, every goddamn human has needs. So we need to stop with the neediness being a horrible descriptor. In fact, I think that that is probably a misogynistic term to discount women actually expressing the things that they might need. Again, I'm speaking in in sort of a, a cisgendered heteronormative stance. But 
again, I think those of you who identify as women or who just don't identify as a cis man, (laughs) perhaps, can really relate to that, that there's oftentimes this suppression of the things that we care about, the things that matter to us, the things that we actually need in order to thrive. A great example of this is introverts. Uh, All my introvert loves out there, I actually am one as well. I did not realize that till much, much later in my life. I, again, was one of those people who, because I was loud and outspoken and gregarious, I thought I was extroverted. I'm not. I'm just fucking loud. (laughs) I'm just gregarious and demonstrative. But I do not feed my spirit by being around a bunch of people that does not energize me at all. It depletes my energy a majority of the time. Do I love it? Yeah, sure. I love it in doses. But even just being with one-on-one with other people, sometimes I go, okay, I need to be by myself. I genuinely love being by myself. And this is one of those things for introverts out there it, to actually speak up and say, hey, I need alone time. I need to be by myself. Because many times, if you're an introvert, your bestie is an extrovert, your partner is an extrovert, your business partner is an extrovert. (laughs) So there's oftentimes some communication that needs to happen there around, hey, I have this need. I need to decompress. I had this situation come up with Mr. Smith when we were away on our vacation this summer. We were seeing people every single day and we had a pretty packed schedule. And so we had a full day of seeing people, visiting with people, and then he and I were going to go out that night to celebrate our anniversary. And I kind of said, can we bump it to tomorrow night? I need I need to be by myself. I need to go listen to one of my novels on Audible, and I need to just do my nails or play a little game on my phone. I need to check the fuck out. I need to be by myself. And because we've had such great and open communication about our needs, of course, he was really receptive to that. But I think for many people, if we're talking about this particular category of being introverted, we dismiss that because our society says that's not sexy. That's not a cool trait to have. So ignore it, dismiss it, and be extroverted. And that's why I think a lot of people drink socially because they're like, I'm uncomfortable around all of these people. Better lube it up (laughs) so that I I can stand it. Now, that's just one very large generalization or example. I did do an episode on self-care in particular about how it all shows up because, y'all, it's not bubble baths and fucking manicures. There's so much more to self-care. So have a listen to episode 344 if you need more around your actual needs, making yourself more important. So the action step here. If you tend to ignore or dismiss your own needs, you can do two different things. You can either start speaking up for your needs inside of a relationship, whether that is a partner, a bestie, a work colleague, even if it's saying like, hey, I'd really love to hear all about your weekend, Susie, but I really need to dig into this project or I'm not going to finish it. It's shutting somebody down at work is what I'm saying. It's catering to your needs. You don't have to be an asshole about it. You're not saying that your needs are more important than everybody else, but it's giving them credence, making sure that they're valuable, all right? So you can do that, or you can book time out on your calendar just for you, and you can do absolutely anything with it. 
You can veg out and watch Netflix. You don't have to do something fucking noble. You can sleep. You can do something pampering if you want. You can just straight up read. You can move your body. But I want this to be something that would not normally be on your calendar, okay? So you don't get to have like a twofer where you already had a workout planned and that's, yay, I'm doing the homework. No, you're not fucking doing the homework. You need to put additional time that's specifically for your needs, okay? Additional time. The same way you would if your friend said, oh my gosh, I need something from you tonight, or your partner said, hey, I need something. No, you need something from you tonight. Figure out, it doesn't have to be tonight, figure out some time on your calendar where you want to book some time out for you, all right? All right, my friends, there you have it. There there are our first six items of ways we abandon ourselves and what to actually do about it. Six of the 12 will be covering off the next six next week. So I do hope you will join us. And again, if you're thinking about these things and you're going, oh shit, I'm going to need way more than a challenge here and there. I need some accountability. I need somebody to walk with me through the fire. And I need to make some very specific concerted change in my life. Y'all, I'm your girl. Go to thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop. That'll give you a little taste. And then set up a call to see if deep down and dirty might be the right next step for you. All right. So I will see you around these parts next week. Here is to loving and living your most badass life. 